0: Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. Um, If you have your Bible, would you open up with me to Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 34, and we're going to read that together. In a little bit, as um, as Jillian was praying and, and offering that blessing this morning, I was just reminded of of how how many women's stories go uh, sometimes under the radar, unheard because of the complications that they may have around what motherhood is or wasn't uh, for them, and and the story that we're going to read this morning and, and share from is, is about a woman who kind of has one of those stories. And, uh, and I, but I believe there's some powerful encouragement for all of us today, women and men, and um, we're going to read that, that text together in, in just a moment. Um, how many of you have been following along with us through this series that we've been in? plugged in. We've been talking about our spiritual authority. I know we have a lot of visitors in the room with Mother's Day, uh, but just to, to give you a sense of what we've been talking about, we have been talking about what does it look like uh, to walk in spiritual authority in our lives. Now this is a topic that does not get a lot of time. And a lot of people are really unfamiliar with it. I grew up in church. My dad's a pastor. And this, for me, was a topic where I was like, what, spiritual authority? What are you talking about? I have no, I've never heard about this in my life. Um, I've heard uh, di- different things, but, but not this. And um, basically, to just give you a quick synopsis of where we've been, we recognize, as we've been studying through the book of Mark, that Jesus has tremendous spiritual authority to do things like cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, all of these radical signs of God's kingdom breaking in are taking place, showing that he has authority over every spiritual entity, but also every, over every physical ailment and everything like that. But then what gets really radical, because of course we can just say, yeah, of course he's God, he can... And he can do all those things. Like what else is new? But then what gets crazy is he starts telling his disciples and, that they're supposed to go do this. And he starts giving them authority to go cast out demons and heal the sick. And so we've been studying, what does this look like in the life of the believer, of someone who follows Jesus? And we've seen this happen, uh, not just when Jesus was here, but when he went back to the Father. He told his church that the Holy Spirit's going to come, and you're going to have power to walk in this kind of spiritual authority. And this is going to be part of what you do as my followers. Um, So if you are visiting with us this morning and you feel a little bit like deer in the headlights or you don't know what's going on because you haven't been following along, don't panic. We've been kind of building this up for the last few weeks and explaining it. Um, You're welcome to jump back on our our podcast and listen to the last few weeks if this interests you. Uh, But I I hope that what uh, what I want to talk to you about today is still actually going to be very helpful, even if you're not particularly familiar with where we've been. But I just kind of wanted to put that framework out there. This is kind of where we have been going in the last few weeks and why we're talking about this today. So if you have your Bible, we're going to read now from Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 34. And we're gonna read the story about this, this woman who had come to the end of herself. It says this, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so that she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. And she'd heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? And his disciples said, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? It's like on the streets of New York City, like you're bumping into everyone. But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened, came and fell To her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, your suffering is over. Let's pray. I just get the sense this morning that that blessing that was prayed over us this morning opened something up for some women in the room and gave some women permission to go to a place that they have been afraid to go to or afraid to think about or process. And I sense that those words that I just read are are the words that Jesus has for you this morning Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. So Holy Spirit, I just pray as we unpack this this morning that where there has been uh, desperation, where there has been a sense of angst or tension or frustration that can't be escaped, I pray, Lord Jesus, that not my words, but you would would be present and speak to people in this room today that their faith has made, made them well and that you are giving them permission to go in peace and that the suffering is over. So Jesus, I pray that you would be as real to us this morning as you were to that woman that day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, there's a, a story that I, I love to tell. It's so helpful when we begin to talk about what we're this theme that we're gonna talk about today. And it's the story of George Quam. And uh, you all know of George, of course, right? You're f- pretty familiar with George Quam. Jersey, yeah, you, of course I know George. No one's heard of George Quam, it's okay. Um, are there a lot of handball aficionados in the room? You play a lot of handball? Well, George Quam was the dominant force in handball in the mid-20th century, like all throughout the 50s in particular. No one could stop this guy. He was absolutely incredible, and he won so many national championships repeatedly over and over and over again. But there was something unusual about George. He only had one hand. He only had one hand. In a sport that's literally named for your hands, you'd think that you're at an advantage having two over one. Yet this guy was so dominant that he could not be stopped even though he was one-handed, missing his entire other arm. And he was once asked uh, by a sports journalist after winning yet another national championship, how on earth have you been able to pull this off? What is the secret to your success? And he says, it's really quite simple. You see, other players have to consider which hand they're going to use when the ball's coming towards them. And in that split second that they have to make a decision, I've already decided because I don't have any other options. No other options. He was free to succeed because he didn't have any other options. Now, we're talking about spiritual authority. And, and I think it's pretty fair to say, even for someone who's a novice religious person, you would say, man, if I'm gonna have spiritual authority, like the kind of authority that can pray for people to be healed or see demons cast out of people, you might need to have some faith for that. Is that fair? Like most of us are gonna say, faith kind of seems important for that. It's not a trick question. It's pretty straightforward. Faith is gonna be required. But, but here's the thing about faith. Faith, requires you to trust in God like you have no other options. Faith is is not uh, simply uh, an exercise in intellectual assent. A lot of what we think of as faith or belief in our day and age is not what the scriptures are describing when they talk about faith or belief. We think about it in terms of intellectual assent or wishful thinking. Well, I have faith. What does that mean? Like, well, yeah, I, I think God's there. I know God's there. But it, necessar- it doesn't have any bearing necessarily on how I'm operating or behaving on a day-to-day basis. Or maybe it does to a certain extent, but I don't wanna get too extreme and weird and crazy with it. Another way to think about this, I've used this example before. It, if I have belief or faith as an in intellectual assent of that variety, um, that the weather is gorgeous outside, I'm gonna go sit by the lake this afternoon. I'm gonna enjoy that. If I were to see the weather's beautiful, the sunshine's beautiful, the water, I mean, probably not warm enough in the lake to go in, but, but it's gonna be nice enough to go outside. And imagine if I knew all those things were true and I said, it might be raining. I'm gonna stay inside. I don't know what's gonna happen if I go out there. Do I truly believe that the weather's actually beautiful? Not a trick question you can answer. No, I don't. I I have given intellectual assent to the idea that the weather's lovely, but I am not behaving in a way that lines up with that. And when the Bible talks about faith or belief, this is what it's talking about. It's not just saying, yes, it's beautiful outside. It's saying, I'm going to go sit out there because it's lovely. The behavior is critically important when it comes to faith or belief. And I'll take it even a step further for us from all of my Greek nerd scholars in the room. I know you're all Greek nerd scholars. I know you are, don't lie. Uh, Faith goes a little bit further. Literally, the word is about allegiance, believing loyalty or allegiance not about intellectual assent. It's the Greek word pistis. And this word is used in business transactions in the, in the first century when, when this is written. So when, when, the, when the book of Mark's written, when all the New Testament letters, anytime you see the word faith, it's this Greek word pistis and it actually describes a business relationship. There would be a patron, someone who was quite wealthy, someone who uh, could manage to fund a lot of different people. And so say maybe you were a baker and you needed to be able to continue to make bread, to make a living. You needed to find a patron who would guarantee that they would buy bread from you. That's how you made money, and that's how you did business in that day and age. If you had a patron, the patron doesn't just buy bread for their household, which is essentially, think of it as like their households in that day are like a small business. It could be 50 to 500 people, family, servants, everyone. You're, you're feeding this whole thing. But it also, every other client... They didn't have plumbers back then, but say they had a plumber. The the lawn groundskeeper, all of these different people that are contracted to the patron, the patron's going to make sure that all of them buy bread from you too. So you create this little network that's, that's organized around this patron. Are you following me? This is how the word pistis is used. You are baking bread for this patron and no other patron. You are giving them your pistis, is is how it was described in the business transaction. You are giving them your allegiance, your faith. You can't bake, you can, if you have extra bread, sure, make some extra money, but you need to know that that bread needs to come here first. So, this is literally what the word faith is about. Why does this matter? Well, there's another word that's used in this business transaction, and it's the word charis. And this describes all of the benefits that the patron is going to give to the baker, you. Not only are they going to give you money, all these other people are going to pay for your bread too. Are you following me? So that Greek word charis gets translated and actually used in the scriptures, and it's often translated as grace or gifts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's that word charis, or the grace of God, it's that word charis. This is why, when when Paul's describing it's by grace through faith that you're saved, he's literally describing your and I relationship with God in terms of that client patron relation. Okay, we've dove down the scholar rabbit hole. I lost you all. Here's why this matters. Here's why this matters, because in using that language, what what is happening in the scriptures is we're saying that you need to be as loyal to your patron, Jesus, as in this business transaction of the baker to the patron. And you're going to get all the benefits of being in, in Jesus's network. Does that make sense to you? All the blessing, all the healing, all the freedom, all the joy, all the love, all the self-control, gentleness, we could fire off the, the fruits of the spirit. But, but I bring this up because of this region that faith has so often been kind of watered down to just refer to wishful thinking or intellectual assent. But the whole point of faith is that it requires of you a different kind of behavior, you owe your allegiance, your loyalty to Jesus. So if, so if you put your faith in Jesus, He has all your loyalty, all your allegiance. You with me so far? I know that was a little bit funky just to start off right at the beginning. But here's the issue for you and for me in this day and age there are a lot of things that I like to put my trust, my allegiance, my loyalty in, especially in a world full of options. You have more options at your fingertips than at any other time in human history. I'm just going to reach into my pocket real quick and pull this thing out. (laughs) This alone, how many food delivery apps do you have on your phone? How many rideshare apps do you have? How, how, how much access to uh, information do you have? I just heard this this morning. Uh, this is a, from a data from a few years ago that one Sunday edition of the New York Times has more information in it than people about 100 years ago would have gotten in a lifetime. We are oversaturated with options. We have so many options at our disposal. Look at, look at commercials. We have so many people that would love for you to pay them so that they can give you another option. They're tripping over themselves to show you how important these options are to you. And the challenge for us in this world that we live in is we have so many options, it can be really easy for us to get apathetic towards making Jesus the option. If that doesn't work out and I'm stuck with this chronic illness, I'm not going to die from it. You know, one in five Americans are living with chronic illness. Modern medicine isn't able to figure it out. I've got this thing, but I'll just kind of like medicate with playing Candy Crush. Or this was really disappointing in my life. I'm going to fill in the gap. It could get really destructive. It could be as, as extreme as... Uh, getting into some kind of substance abuse issue, a shopping addiction issue. It could be a sex addiction issue. It could be workaholism. We have so many options to often medicate our pain when we don't see the answers we want, when we have disappointment in our lives. We have so many options and so when we, we start as Christians sometimes, and I've experienced this in my own life, I wanna see God answer prayer. And I pray, you ever do this? You get really enthusiastic for like a hot minute or maybe two days or something. And then you kind of like forget. And, and then that next day you kind of forget again, that thing you were praying. And then day three, you're like, I prayed a couple times about it. Like, God, you know, God knows that I, I care about that. It's because you're saturated with options. It's not because the problem's gotten any less real. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. How many of you have come to a place in your life in your story, and I know many of you have had this experience before, where you've had a situation where you've literally run out of options? Have you ever been so desperate, it's felt like you've hit rock bottom and you've come to a moment where you say, I don't know what to do. My good news for you this morning is that when we run out of options, even if we tried all the other options first, we are finally positioned for Jesus to respond to us. We're finally positioned for Jesus to respond to us. So very briefly, I just wanna share this: these three Observations from the story of this woman. How do we learn how to make Jesus our only option? How do we live with Jesus as our only option so we can see real fruit, real answers in a world that is dying for them? It comes down to this desperation brings us to finally have faith. Faith brings us to Jesus and Jesus responds to faith. First, desperation brings us to faith. So this woman that we read about in the story, she had, uh, depending on the translation, she had an issue of blood. Essentially, she has vaginal bleeding, probably not uh, related to her period. She probably was hemorrhaging. It could have been from the birth of a child. We don't know exactly, but she was constantly hemorrhaging blood for 12 years. Now, this is important because she would have had to have been isolated because of this. Jewish law required a couple of different things of women when when they were bleeding, depending on the type of bleeding it was or if anyone had any kind of bleeding going on. They were unclean and they had to be away from People. So this woman was living an isolated life and she was desperate for a cure and she was probably fairly wealthy and had spent every penny she had on a cure. Now I know modern medicine is a lot better than it was back then, but there are still often many times where people are desperate for a cure and they just can't find one, even today. She was isolated. She'd become impoverished from this. She was desperate and humbled by the whole situation. Now, when it comes to seeing God answer prayer and walking in faith, the point isn't to be desperate. The point isn't to be humiliated. That's not the goal. But often, I believe your desperation and humiliation is what's needed for a lot of us to get weaned off of all of our other options. It's too easy for us to replace things and try other things in our own strength or our own power. What if I try this? What if I try that? But here's the thing, this might not seem like it to you, but God is often so gracious that he will let every other option in your life fail. Yes, you heard me right. God is so good to you He will let everything you've been trying fail first so that you can finally come to a place where you say, I have no other options. He's so good to you. You can turn to him finally. You can give your faith to him, your loyalty to him. And you can begin to operate in a way that is truly out of faith and not just intellectual assent. But often it requires the painful road of being deprived of any other option? Have you ever felt deprived of all options? Have you ever been desperate for an answer? I would contend that this is not always a bad thing. the the spiritual formation writers of the last 2,000 years and throughout church history have often talked about how good it is that God actually destroys the false idols in our lives, the things that we've clung to with false allegiance. And And even though it seems so painful, as he pulls these things away, we begin to slowly see his goodness and how he's teaching us to trust him and not rely on anything else. And so desperation finally brings us to a place of faith. But then second, faith brings us to Jesus. You're not just desperate so you can sit there and wallow in your your disparity and in your dysfunction and realizing how much of a mess things are. Praise God if you are self-aware enough to realize how much of a mess you are. But praise God you're not meant to stay that way. Praise God, that faith, that calling on as we were singing before. Oh God, oh God, I need you. That is a song of being in that place of desperation and moving to a place of faith, of saying, I am going to give my loyalty, my allegiance to you. I have no other options. Help. And that is a full prayer sometimes, help. You see, faith, brings you to Jesus. But the thing about faith is when you start to operate in real faith, it might cause you to do some things that other people are not comfortable with. It might cause you to do things that might seem even inappropriate or unacceptable even to other church people. What do I mean by this? This woman... Was bleeding, and I mentioned that as, according to Jewish law, she was unclean, she needed to stay isolated. This woman had been essentially quarantined for 12 years. Can you imagine catching COVID and being quarantined for 12 years? 12 years. This woman had had no uh, social safety net. Who knows how she was getting food and, and was able to eat. We knew she did have money at one point, but she didn't anymore. She was desperate. There's all sorts of activity happening in this area where Jesus is. And this is the first time she's hearing about Jesus. She was isolated. She had no one around her. She wasn't loved. She wasn't cared for. She was completely on her own because of the brokenness that she was experiencing. And now she hears Jesus is outside or along the road and there's a crowd coming by. And now she goes, I I need to do something. But see, her faith is going to have her do something that was completely inappropriate for her religion, completely inappropriate for her social context. This was not okay for her to do. She was going to be shoulder to shoulder with everyone in this crowd, and she was going to sneak her way through to Jesus. And she was so desperate, and her faith, her allegiance now to this man she'd just heard of, was so great that she thought if I could just get my hand on his robe just for a second, that's all I need. If, if I could just... This is, this is how humiliating her life gets. She's probably getting really down low. The, the inference in the text is she's sneaking up behind Jesus because I can't let this rabbi know an unclean woman is sneaking up behind him. Just to, He'll be so mad at me because you see, as soon as she touches him, he'll be unclean too. Has your concern about what is socially acceptable kept you from walking in faith? has your concern about what is religiously acceptable kept you from reaching out in desperation to Jesus? Folks, there was no model for what she did. There was no precedent for what she did, reaching out and grabbing his robe. Show me the scripture and verse where you can get healed by doing that. It was her faith, Jesus will say later, that healed her. She was desperate, but she had to come to a place where, man, I really don't care what anyone thinks of me anymore. That's how you know you've come to the place of humility, of, of, of total the end of yourself. Like, I don't care. I just need Jesus. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care who knows what I'm going through. I don't care who says I'm unclean. Yeah, I am, and I want to get well. I think too often we are afraid to deal with the places of brokenness, of sin, of bondage in our own life. Because, man, I've been in church a long time. I can't let people know this is still an issue for me. And we're so afraid of what other people think that we don't walk in faith and reach out for Jesus and grab his robe. Don't be afraid of what other people think. It leaves your freedom on the table. It leaves healing on the table. It leaves breakthrough for other people on the table. Ah, I don't want to pray for them. I don't know what they'll say or what other people will think if I pray for them for healing. Step out of your fear and towards Jesus. I guarantee you, you will never be disappointed. And finally, desperation brings us to faith. Faith brings us to Jesus and Jesus responds to faith. You see, you won't be disappointed when you truly reach out to Jesus in faith. I'm not gonna prescribe what it will look like when you reach out to Jesus, but he will respond. He will respond. Without Jesus even knowing, she snuck up behind him, she touched his robe, and immediately she knew that the bleeding stopped and that she was healed immediately and Jesus knew something was up too because he felt power leave his body he was so in tune with the Holy Spirit's power that was working through him that the second this woman touched him in faith he knew something had happened so he's looking around who touched me who touched me and this woman's probably freaking out like how did he know I'm so stupid I shouldn't have come here he's freaking out This was wrong, this is wrong. She's trying to get away, she's trying to hide and Jesus is insistent, his disciples are like, everyone's touching you. We're shoulder to shoulder in this crowd. What are you talking about? No, this was different. Where is that person? Now we don't know whether he knew actually or not what had happened and this was just his way of getting the woman out in the open, but either way, he wanted to know who had just received a touch. From him. And there's a really important reason why, and this is amazing. See, she was afraid. She had just technically made Jesus unclean. But Jesus wanted to turn the tables on this whole thinking. Because Mark, in this passage, he doesn't mention once that now Jesus was unclean and he had to go to the temple and the whole thing. He doesn't mention any of that. Jesus just goes about his business afterwards. And this is what's so profound because. According to the law, unclean things make clean things unclean. Did you follow me there? I'll say it one more time now that you're ready. See, according to like the whole Old Testament law, everything they were following, unclean things make clean things unclean. So it's like we do that with people a lot too, like "Eh, keep my distance from them bad news. But Jesus doesn't have that heart. He responds to faith and says, hey, come here. I want to talk to you. It doesn't matter what happened, and actually it doesn't even matter that she was unclean, because here's the power of the good news of Jesus. Here's what happens. When we reach out in faith and touch Jesus, he doesn't become unclean. We get clean. The clean thing Makes the unclean thing clean. Here's your Dr. Seuss for the morning. And we know this is true that Jesus blesses what this woman did because he says these words to her. He says, daughter. This this is a, a title, a term connecting her to being a daughter of Abraham. This is a title of honor that he was giving to this woman, Daughter. He was honoring this woman who had been isolated from community for 12 years, told over and over again, unclean, stay away. She'd come to the end of herself. She had nothing left. And the first word Jesus says to her is, daughter. She's terrified as she comes and admits what happened. And his first words are, daughter. But you didn't hear me. I said, I, I'm, I was unclean and I touched you. I'm so sorry. You weren't supposed to find out. Daughter, daughter. Jesus responded to her faith with so much compassion and graciousness. She knew she'd come to the end. He knew that she had come to the end of herself. He didn't need to say anything else. Daughter, your faith has made you well. He blessed and affirmed the crazy outlandish action she took in response to faith. And then, these are my favorite words, go in peace. Now, this word peace is is used in the Hebrew. It's the word shalom. This is the word that talks about a wholeness, not just a personal wholeness, but it is setting you in wholeness in the context of community. You are welcomed back in. You are blessed. You are restored. You are renewed. You're not alone. You're not out there isolated. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You are completely restored. You don't have to do that quarantine anymore. Can you imagine you get your COVID test, you find out you've got COVID? We've all experienced what quarantine's like at this point. So this is really helpful to be able to think about. Imagine you get this test back, you've got COVID and it's only like two days in, you've got like a whole week, you've got to wait or what is it, 14 days at first? Like seems like a lifetime ago almost. And imagine you just get that touch of Jesus's robe and he's like, you can go in peace. You'd be like, "Woo!" Fully restored, without question. Totally healed. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And then he says this, your suffering is over. You came here with torment. You came here with exhaustion. You came here with frustration. You've been hungry for a breakthrough. Not only are you well right now, not only am I honoring you as a daughter, not only are you fully restored to community, but guess what? The suffering will not return to you. You're free. You are truly free. Truly free. Desperation brings us to faith. Faith brings us to Jesus and then Jesus responds to faith. How many of you would love to hear Jesus speak words like that to you? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Son, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. But the question before us is, do you have other options? Those words are available for everyone, but only if we choose to live without any other options. Is your faith in Jesus just an option among many? is it keeping you from experiencing that full restorative power that we heard in those closing words of Jesus? The keeping you from that? I was recently reminded of someone in our church from a, of a writing of one of my favorite spiritual writers. His name's Francois Fenelon. And he said this, he, meaning God, is not willing That you should owe what he is about to perform in you to any other than to himself alone. You might need to sit with that, take a picture of it for later, meditate on that truth. He is not willing that you should owe what he is about to perform in you to any other than to himself alone. God cares about you too much to let you think that something else got you through it. He loves you too much to think that you had the strength to get through that yourself. Because the problem is, if he leaves you thinking you got yourself through that when the bigger hurdle comes next, you're gonna power through like you can do it. And some of us have fooled ourselves into thinking other things in our lives have been because we could get ourselves through it. And we're trying to get through the obstacle that's right in front of it as if we can get ourselves through it. But I believe for there's a lot of us in the room, I really felt this when Jillian was reading that blessing and praying that blessing, that there are a lot of us in the room this morning that are at the end of themselves. And I want you to know this morning that if you're in a season of desperation, perhaps uh, it's been a time of of shame and self-loathing, frustration, disappointment. If you're in that season, I want you to be encouraged that God is about to perform something incredible in your life. But he's not willing that you think that someone else or something else helped you make it through. Because he wants you to realize how good he truly is to you. He wants you to hear those words in their full effect. Daughter, Son, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. What if you were to have no other options and reach out with faith to him and him alone and grab even the edge of his robe? What might he do? I want to invite the worship team to come up. I want to pray for you as we get ready to take communion together. Let me pray for you and then we'll take communion. Jesus, if we are going to walk in real power, real authority to see prayers be answered, Lord, we recognize the scary reality, the uncomfortable reality that we need to come to the end of ourselves. Jesus, you are so gracious. You are such a good friend that you do not want us to fool ourselves thinking we've got what it takes to make it through ourselves. Jesus, I thank you that you did not create us to depend on us, but you created us to depend on you. And so Lord, I pray that there would be an attitude of no other options in our church family and our friends who are visiting with us this morning for Mother's Day. I pray that this heart of no other options but you, Lord Jesus, would take hold. I pray, Lord, that we would see desperation and even the humiliation that has come into our lives as a gift, as an opportunity to cling to you in a way we did not think was possible. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just stay in desperation, but that we would move radically in faith towards you so we can hear the full weight of your response to us. Daughter, son, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. He's saying that to some of you right now this morning. Some of you have been desperate for that touch of his robe. even just now, even just with, you can close your eyes, bow your head. If, if there's some of you that feel like this is a moment of symbolically reaching for his robe, you can even just put your hand in the air as if you're just reaching out for Jesus. If you wanna do that, I invite you to do that even symbolically as a, as a sign of posturing yourself towards reaching for him. Yeah. Reaching for him. Jesus, I pray that you would respond. Respond to the faith in the room, Lord. Respond to those who are beyond caring whether they feel humiliated or desperate. Thank you for your graciousness, Lord, to give us no other options but you. your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.